Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Well, praise the Lord, Church. You guys are looking great. You guys are an awesome bunch. You're full of faith. You're full of joy in the Lord. Holy Spirit's in you. You're an awesome church. Absolutely amazing. You know that you've got enough faith to move a mountain? Did you know that? You have. Jesus said if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, and that was the smallest little thing you could think of. It was like us saying a grain of salt or whatever the smallest thing you can think of. Jesus said if you have that much faith, you can move a mountain. You've got that much faith. You have. You. You have. Me? No, not me. Yes, you. You really have. You've got enough. You've got a mustard seed of faith, otherwise you wouldn't be here today. It's just this other unbelief stuff where we believe what the world puts on us that stops us, but the faith you've got is enough. And that's why we come together, we worship the Lord, the Holy Spirit fills our midst in our, in our meetings, we listen to God's word, we rub shoulders with other Christians, and all that unbelief gets cast off, and that little bit of faith in us grows, and we're able to do great things for the Lord. Amen? But you guys are awesome. The power and the presence of the Lord is here. I've been at some of the big hot spots of Christianity around the world. I've been to Toronto, Pensacola, all these different places. The presence of the Lord here is this as much, if not more, than all those different places. God is here. Amen? And it's awesome. It really is awesome. So you guys are great. I just want to um, welcome you if you're a visitor. Thank you so much for coming. It's so great to see so many friends around. Um, Mike and Pat. Um, Brendan, Jason, there's various others who are here. We're just so glad to see everybody here. Um, and if you're a visitor with us, thank you for being here. We pray that the Lord blesses you. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word is powerful, like a hammer. Pray that it would, that it would break things in our lives today, like a, like a wind that it would come in and blow us along. Lord, like fresh rain that it would refresh us, like seed that it would grow within us and cause much fruit. Lord Jesus, like a knife that would cut to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. We pray that your word would come into our lives and into our hearts, open our minds, eyes, and let us see wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Praise the Lord. We are going back to our series called Letting People See Jesus. We started this about, I don't know, maybe even two years ago. And um, then we've been doing various other series in between, and we got quite far into Jesus' ministry, his three-year ministry and his life on earth, and we want to just pick it up again now and do a few weeks of looking at Jesus' life in the Gospels just to understand this amazing man, God, full of grace and truth, the Bible says. God gave us Jesus so that we could see the Father, and so that's what we're looking at in the series. And today we're at a passage in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals a man who was born blind. We're not told his name in the Bible, but I'm going to call him Barry. I hope that's okay with you. Why not Barry? If not Barry, why not? So, John chapter 9, reading from verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I want you to try and imagine this picture. Jesus is walking by. The man is not calling out to Jesus. He's just sitting there begging. And Jesus is going by, but he sees the man. And something, he kind of stops and he looks at him. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that were born blind? Imagine the assumption behind that question. Why would they even ask that question? 
Who sinned? In other words, who do we blame? There must be a blame. If something goes wrong, there must be somebody to Who do we point to? Whose fault is it? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Yes, that's really in your Bible. You really are reading those words. He spat on it. Do you know how much spit you have to spit to make enough mud to put on someone's eye? It's not just a nice little polite religious poo. So it's a big amount of saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Bear in mind, this man hasn't asked Jesus to heal him. He doesn't even know what's going on. Somebody comes up and starts spitting and putting mud on his face. Very unusual. And he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This man had been born blind. He was over 30 years of age. And for the first time in his life, he could see. Can you imagine just oh, the emotion in that? This man puts mud on my face. Really weird. I walk embarrassed with mud on my face. And I walk, find the pool of Siloam. I wash. Wow. He can see. Miraculous. Wonderful. You would think that was the best thing that would ever happen to this man. But as we read on, you're going to find there's actually more. There's better. But it gets worse before it gets better. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen him, seen that he was blind, said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. He said, I am him. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay anointed my eyes, said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. They, then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Then they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he'll speak for himself. 
His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue, excluded from the religious community. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you were trying to teach us and they cast him out. Got worse, but then it got better. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is he Lord that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. This is an amazing story, and I'm just going to break it down into five points. There's so much that we could talk about in the story. It really is a beautiful picture of Jesus. You know, there's many, many miracles that Jesus did where he healed people. Don't let anybody tell you there were just a handful. There were thousands. At the end of the book of John, he says, if all the miracles that Jesus did were written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain the, all the stories. There were m thousands and thousands of healings. Uh, historians believe that there was no sickness in the whole of Israel and the surrounding areas while Jesus did his ministry for three years because everyone got healed. Sometimes he would heal thousands in a big group. There's a story in Luke where it says a large group gathered and everyone was healed because power was going out of him. There were multitudes of healings. But here we have a detailed look at one of the healings. And it's just so wonderful to get a picture of how Jesus dealt with one man this man, Barry, who didn't know Jesus, he wasn't crying out for Jesus, he was just sitting there begging, his life had become a mess. He was born blind, started on the back foot, didn't have all the advantages that most people have, people had been horrible to him, he was reduced to begging people just for a living, and he had friends and family members and, and others around him, but his life was miserable, and Jesus broke in and came into his life. And so my first point is that Jesus sees us. Jesus sees you. Yes, you. The one individual. I know that James is going to talk more about this next week. 
So I don't want to go into this in too much detail, but Jesus cares about the individual. He sees you. You say, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the sins I've been involved in. You don't know my family members. You don't know where I am and how bad life has been. I promise you, friend, Jesus sees you. Even when you don't see him. The blind man didn't see Jesus. He didn't even know who Jesus was, but Jesus saw him and cared enough and was interested enough to break into his life and God cares about your life. And today this might be the first time that you've heard somebody say that. You might feel, well, I, I don't know, I'm too bad or I'm one of those others, but I want to tell you today, you're not here by mistake. God brought you here because he wanted to tell you that he sees you. And he not just sees you out of the corner of his eye, he stops he turns, he focuses on you, and he does things that allow you to see him. He breaks into your life in a way that will allow you to come and meet him. And that's what's happening today. He sees you. You might have backslidden from the Lord today. I don't know where you are, but I want to tell you, God sees you exactly where you are. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, Jesus cares and he sees where you are. My second point is that Jesus didn't cause this situation, this terrible suffering, this hardship that he was in. You know, the Jews had, you can tell from reading the story that the, the common belief in this day was that if somebody has something going wrong in their lives, it was because they sinned and God was punishing them. It's obvious. So the disciples say to Jesus, who sinned? The Pharisees say, you sinned because you were born blind. Um, the man says, Jesus must not have sinned, otherwise he couldn't have healed me. There was this common belief amongst the culture of that day that if something goes badly, it's because you've sinned. And if something goes well, it's because you've done well. And it's God standing there like this big kind of judge daddy type person. And when you do wrong, Naughty, I'll make you blind. Blind, And when you do well, well done, I'll make you be able to heal someone. And Jesus, they ask Jesus this question and he makes it plain. He says, that's not the case. There's another story in Luke chapter 13, very, very similar, where Jesus, there were some people who had been killed by Pilate when they were trying to worship God. There was a whole bunch of them had been murdered. And there were some other people, a, a tower had fallen on them, and a whole bunch of them had been killed. The tower by Siloam, actually, the same place as this pool. And, and in Luke 13, Jesus said, do you think that those people who were killed were worse sinners than anyone else? Because it was the common belief that if things go well, you've done well. It's a reward, it's karma. You know that the whole concept of karma, which a lot of people believe in these days. Most, even people who are not religious believe in karma if i do well then if i do good then good things will happen to me and you reap what you sow and um you know karma will get me i better i better just do something good to make my karma a bit better my karma will run over your dogma if you're not careful but jesus said it's just not true they said, who was it? How do we apportion blame? How do we draw a line between suffering and sin? Where's the line? How, who, do, who was it? Because we love to do that. We love to apportion blame. We love to say it's his fault. It's his fault. And you know, many of us are sitting here as Christians today, 
And we kind of smug and we say, we, we don't say that. We're not like that. We, we love everybody. If something goes wrong in your life, do you say, it's because I didn't pray enough. God is punishing me. I didn't, I didn't do this. Oh, I, I was horrible to that beggar. I didn't give that beggar some money. No, that's, why, that's why I'm short of money this month. You see, it's deeply ingrained in us, this belief. That if I do good, then I get blessed. If I do bad, then I get punished. And Jesus said that's just simply not the case. He said it is not that those people were worse sinners and therefore they, they were punished. In Luke 13, he says that's not the case. And here in John chapter 9, he says that's not the case. By the way, some people will read this verse and they'll say to me, hmm, looks like he is saying that. Let me just read it to you. So in verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But then the verse goes on in most of our Bibles. There's a comma there and it says, But that the works of God should be revealed in him. As if it was the reason that he was blind was God made him blind so that Jesus could heal him 30 years later. But that's not what it says. Just about every commentary that I've read says that actually the full stop should be after the word him. Um, Sorry, after the word sinned. So, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Full stop. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me. You know, the full stops and all that were just added afterwards by people who thought they knew where they should go. But I, the rest of Scripture teaches that God doesn't put hardship and sickness on someone just so that 30 years later Jesus can heal him. It's just not the case. And Luke 13 they say, Jesus says, did they sin more because they had a tower fall on them, because they had suffering? Because 9-11 happened. Does that mean America sinned? Because there's been a, an earthquake in India, does that mean they've sinned? Is, is there a line that we can draw? Jesus said, no, that's not the case. They're not worse sinners. You don't draw a line. But then he said, but unless you all repent, we will all perish. In other words, sin is the cause, but it's not a direct line from one person to a, one sin to one suffering. It's the whole human race is affected by the whole human race's sin. We're all in a fallen world, but we can get out. He said, if you repent, you won't perish. We can get out of this terrible situation of sin is causing destruction on all of us. We still live in a fallen world, but if we repent when we die, we will be saved from the ultimate death. A tower falling on you is not the end of the world, but going to hell forever is. So I just want to say that God is not responsible. And many Christians today, I want you to please just search your heart, examine your heart. If you're thinking that God is sitting up there saying, I will bless because you're good and I will curse because you're bad, that is, not, that is Old Testament thinking, that is law thinking. We're under grace where God says, sin has affected the whole world, but I'm giving Jesus so that you can rest in the joy and the peace. And I'm with you through the suffering. It's not a direct cause and effect line. Don't get into this place where you think God is punishing me because I was bad or punishing a country because they were bad. It's not the case. There's a judgment day at the end of time when all that gets straightened out and sorted out. Just one more thing I need to say on this is that there is a consequence to sin if I, if I steal, I may go to prison. That's not God sending me to prison. That is just 
the consequences in the world, just like gravity, if I jump off a cliff, I will fall to the bottom. There are consequences to sin, but it's not God saying, I'm going to now punish, I'm going to now bless. And that was what Jesus was saying. It's not the case. Stop trying to apportion blame. Or say that blessing comes from being good. Can I just say one more thing? There are people who um, call themselves Calvinists who say that God is controlling everything. And they say when something bad happens, it was either God made it happen or the devil had to ask God whether he could do it to you. And so they say if you have a car crash and, and your husband dies in the car crash, well, God made it happen or the devil made it happen, but the devil had to ask God first and God said, yes, you can because I will work it for a good purpose in that person's life. Can I just say that if you follow that line of thinking through, that is exactly the thinking that the disciples had. Because if you're saying that God allowed it to work something good in your life, what you're saying, please listen to me, is that you have something wrong in your life that God has to work out through suffering. In other words, suffering is caused by a sin. And Jesus said plainly that is not the case. It's just not true. We live in a broken world. It is not suffering equals a, a result of my sin. It's suffering as a result of the whole human race of sin. Right, I'm going to move on. He didn't, God didn't cause a situation, but he acts in a way that allows us to get out of it. But my third point is that he requires some action from us as well. So Jesus comes to the man and he puts mud on his eyes and then he says to him, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man had to go and wash. There was some response required from the man in order for him to benefit from this healing. Why am I saying this? Because all of us, we're here, the Lord sees us, He's brought us here together for a reason today. He's got something He wants to do in your life. You may be under suffering. You may say, does God even see where I am? He sees you. He didn't cause the suffering. But now you're saying, well, how do I get out of it? This is the key part. God works in a way, Jesus comes to him, he speaks to him, he puts the mud on his eyes, but there's a cooperation, there's something required from us to also be part of what God is doing in our lives. If the man had not gone to the pool of Siloam, what would have happened? He wouldn't have got healed. This is really an important part, point, friends. Can I just say that sometimes what God does is it seems weird to us. I, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I think it's extremely weird that Jesus would spit on the ground with a big puddle of spit to make enough mud to put it on a man's eyes and tell him to walk to another place far away when he's blind already to go and wash and be healed. And many people say, why does, why does Jesus do these weird things? Jesus has the power... Amen? To just heal like that. He doesn't need to put mud on people's eyes. Why does Jesus, when a Canaanite woman comes to him and says, oh, my daughter's demon-possessed, why does Jesus go through this long rigmarole of ignoring her and then saying, I was only sent to the Israelites and then I mustn't give food to the dogs and then he heals her daughter? Why does he go through this process when he can just heal immediately? Why do some people get healed so quickly? The, the centurion comes to Jesus and says, Lord, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word and my boy will be healed. And he's healed immediately. Other people have to go through this process. Why is that? Have you ever thought of that? 
Is God strong enough to heal like that? Of course he is. Is God able to do whatever miracle you need in your life immediately? Of course he is. So what's the problem? Can I just say, the problem is that he requires us to be in a position to receive. And whatever is required to get us into that position to receive, Jesus will do. So there's nowhere else that he puts spit and mud on someone's eyes. It was just this man needed this to get him into that place of humility, obedience. I'm not sure what else it was, but Jesus knew his heart. And this was what was required for this man to get into a place where he could receive the power of God. There was never a problem with God's power to heal. It was always there. And for your situation, whatever it is, the problem is not God's power. The problem is not that God is unwilling to heal you or to change your life. I promise you that's not the problem. The problem is not God. The problem is that we need to get ourselves into a position. You know, Jesus healed everyone who asked him to heal them. And even this man didn't ask and he was healed. But in Mark chapter 6, it says he went to his hometown and he said a prophet is without honor in his own town, in his hometown. They didn't honor him. And he, he marveled at their unbelief and it says he could do no mighty works there. Was the problem with Jesus? No. The problem was that their hearts were in such a position that they couldn't receive. Now, brother and sister, Christian, is it possible? Not is it possible, it is true that God wants to do great things in your life. The power is available. There's no lack on God's part. There's no problem with God's willingness, His desire. But usually the problem is with us. And often there's something unusual that God will put in our lives to get us into a place to receive, but we react against it. And so, for instance, some people say to me, you know, I love God and I love the Holy Spirit, but I don't want to be embarrassed by God. I don't want to, I don't want to have to raise my hands and worship. I don't want to have to pray in tongues. I don't want to have to do something weird. And God says, my power is not the problem. Your pride is the problem. Thanks. That a bit too direct. I don't want to. I don't want to have to worship with people who are different to me. That different races, different languages, different class. I, I don't. I don't want that. I want a church that's just like I want it. You know, with my little brand of everything I love. I just want my thing. God, why don't you just meet my needs? He says, I want to, but you've got to be in a place to receive. And that might mean worshipping with someone who's not your normal association, the person you would normally be with. Or, or something that's slightly out of your comfort zone. And often, I've heard a, a, a phrase that God will often offend the mind to reveal the heart. And often, we get offended by something in church or in, in Christianity. And all it is is God saying, get yourself in a position where I can heal you. And so for this man, I don't know exactly what it was, but Jesus knew if he tests him by putting mud on his eyes in a weird way, this, if he obeys and follows it through, this will get the man to the place where he can receive the healing. Does that make sense? My fourth point is that this will affect our relationships. When God works in our lives, it will affect 
the circles of people around you. So the man's parents got called into the Pharisees, into the synagogue. The man got called in front of the synagogue rulers. The people around him who knew him and the neighbors and people who didn't know him very well said, is this really you? How, what happened? How did you get healed? What's going on in your life? When God works in your life and you start to respond to him in a way that allows him to work powerfully in your life, it will start to affect your relationships. And often, like in this man's case, you will be required to stand up for Jesus and it will mean you will lose a relationship or a privilege or something that you've had. And so in extreme cases, I've seen ladies say to their non-Christian husbands, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to church. And he says, you will not go to church. If you go to church, you will, I'll divorce you. And she says, I'm going to church. I've seen extreme cases, but I want to tell you that it will always affect your relationship. They will, the world around us does not love Jesus, and if you start to stand up for Him, and you start to put yourself in a place where God can work in your life, it will always affect your relationship, and somebody will test you and put pressure on you and say, oh, why are you being so fanatical? Why are you doing this? Why are you going to that thing? Why are you loving Jesus? Why are you giving your money? Why are you saying these things? Why are you changing your opinions? And it requires us, like this man did, to say, all I know is he healed me. And I'm just doing what he said. This man took the root of saying, I'm standing up for the truth and I'm standing up for Jesus. And the end result, my, sixth, my fifth point, <coughs> is that Jesus then meets with this man. And isn't it interesting that he'd been healed of blindness, He'd witnessed for Jesus. He'd obeyed and gone to the pool. He'd done all these different things, but he still wasn't saved. Can I just say that it's possible for us to be in church for many years. We've experienced the power of God. We've rubbed shoulders with other Christians. We've worshipped. We've seen miracles. We've witnessed even. We've obeyed. We've given and, and done good things. But Jesus comes to him, and only when he meets Jesus face to face, and Jesus says, I am the Lord. And then he says, yes, I believe. And he worships. That's when he was healed, not just of physical blindness, but of spiritual blindness. So that when he dies, his spirit lives forever. And that's what we need. The greatest miracle is not that our, our physical eyes are opened. Amen? That's a wonderful miracle. But the greatest miracle is you, your real you, your spirit, the, the you in the middle, lives forever. And that can only happen, not because I've experienced miracles, not because I've obeyed or gone to church or done anything. If I meet Jesus and I have a relationship, a one-on-one -on -one with Him, and I worship Him, say, yes, Lord, I believe and I worship Him. That's when that man's spirit got born again. And that's what we need, every single one of us. But then Jesus ends off by saying this, and it's just the most astounding statement. So the, the Pharisees are offended um, and said, are we blind also? In the last sentence in the chapter, Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. The key, the key, key issue in this whole thing is that the Pharisees and many, many people feel they don't need God. But the people who realize their need are the ones that Jesus helps. Remember Jesus said, I have not come to heal the healthy, but the sick. 
I've come to call sinners, not those who think they're righteous. Do you remember the story? There was a tax collector and a, and a, Pharisee, a, a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee standing there praying, saying, Lord, I'm so grateful that I'm such a great man and I'm not like this tax collector. And it says the tax collector beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it's that man, the, the tax collector who realized his need, who went away righteous and forgiven. Can I be direct? I need to be direct, brothers and sisters. I need to be as plain as I can. The thing that will keep you out of all the good things that God has for you, including salvation and heaven, is if you think you don't need God. If you think you've got it all. If you think that your race or your education or your family background or your religious experience or the fact that you were catechized or communionized or confirmed or baptized or whatever, if you think you've got it all made, then Jesus said you're actually blind. Because you think you can see, Jesus said you're blind to the Pharisee. But the man who knew that he had a need, the man who knew he was blind, he was desperate, Jesus said, I can heal him. He's in the position to, to receive. And I felt like the Lord has challenged me very strongly, and I want to challenge you. We live in a culture of pride. We live in a culture that says, I'm not like other men. I'm blessed. I have a great background. I have material possessions. I have education. I have abilities. I don't need somebody to tell me this. I'm actually quite great. And when I join a church, look how lucky they are to have me. And when I'm doing something for the Lord, the Lord is lucky to have me on his team. We may not say those words, but in our hearts, it's there. And I want to say to you, it's the one thing, Jesus pinpointed it as the one thing that will keep us out of all the good things that God has for us. But when we are humble, the Bible says, James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When I come, you know, it's, it's like in human relationships. If somebody comes to me and I say, oh, you know, I've, I'm fine, I've done nothing wrong. I, something in me wants to oppose that. I want to find something wrong with them. When somebody says, you know, I've got it all together, I can do this and that, and I know I've got an opinion on every matter, and I know better than everyone else, and look at me how great I am. I know about sports, I know about history, I know about everything, and look how great I am. Oh, you can't tell me anything, I don't need anything. Something in me rises up, and I say, I want to find the thing that's wrong. It's just human nature. But when someone comes and they say, ah, oh, I'm, I'm broken, I, I'm needy, please would you help me? I, I don't know everything. I, I, I need help. You know what I want to do? I want to try and cover them and protect them and let nobody harm them. And I want to give grace to them and I want to cover over their sins and their faults. God is the same. God gives grace to the humble but he opposes the proud. And if I come to God and I say, Lord, I know I am probably proud. You know, pride is the one sin which we don't know we have. We think, what are all the sins? Ah, oh, overcome sexual immorality, addiction. Um, I've got self-control. I'm kind to the poor. I'm generous. I don't do this anymore or this anymore. I don't do this or this. Wow, I've done well. The one sin that I can't see is pride. Because when I think I've achieved all these other things, then pride is the thing that comes to the front. 
And that's why the Bible says, humble yourself before God. Because I have to come and I have to say, Lord, there's a very good chance that I'm proud. That I think of myself more highly than I ought. And I need to understand where I rank in the whole scheme of things. You are God in heaven. I am not God. And I'm not perfect. I'm not the great I am. I am what I am by your grace alone. Lord, I humble myself in front of you and in front of other people. When other people give their opinions, even if I know better, I don't say, hey, I know, I'm better. I, have you heard what I've done? I humble myself. I'd prefer others. I don't, I don't boast about myself. And I humble, I humble, and I say, Lord, I'm needy. And then God says, now you're the one that I can rush in and heal. So I'm going to ask us to pray and ask the Lord what he's saying to us today from this story. Perhaps the worship team could come up. Just stay where you are in your seats and let's just focus on the Lord. Perhaps close your eyes. Say, Lord, what are you saying to me today through this story? Lord, where do I fit in to this story? Lord, who am I in this story? Please would you show me. And Lord, please, more than anything, help me to overcome my pride. Help me to overcome my self-sufficiency, to think that I've got it all together and that I'm better than others and that I don't need help. Please forgive me, Lord. And please help me. I humble myself, Lord. I, I put myself in a lowly position. I say, Lord, I need you. Lord, just like the man who was born blind, I was born with a need for you, for your salvation, for your healing, for your help. Lord, I need you. Please, God, would you help me today? Lord, I choose to reject and put aside pride. And I embrace humility today. Here I am, Lord. Please, would you do something great in my life? We're going to sing a worship song together. And as we sing, I just encourage you to to put yourself in that position of receiving, of humbling ourselves today. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.